Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new Paul Verhoeven film, which is L, starring Isabelle Huppert. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 99 of Film Tank. I am your host, Alex Diekman, along with Toussaint Egan. Hey, Alex, it's great to be here. Damn, 99 already? We're really getting up there. Thank you. And also, uh, extreme Paul Verhoeven fan, Nick Cheney, also here. Hey, Nick, it's nice to meet you. Hi, Nick. Is Toussaint going to be staying for the whole episode? Yeah. Um, he usually stops talking when we get to the review, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. I mean, he'll be Damn. here, but we won't have to deal with this. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk about our Lord, our Savior, Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> I love Paul as, Verhoeven, too. As he... He Just holds his beer up to the Nazi salute. To the laser mounted laser disc copy of Showgirls <laughs> I, that we have adorning our fucking studio. That, that was perfect, though, Toussaint, to, to the mounted yeah. Showgirls <laughs> laser disc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If only we could get Gina Gershon on there, it would have made it you know, perfect. But yeah. It's unfortunately just the girl from Saved by the Bell. So what you going to do? Oh. <laughs> You gotta watch Showgirls. No, yeah. Have you seriously never seen it? I've yeah, I've seriously never seen Showgirls. That's what we're watching next week. Oh wow, that is somewhat unfortunate because although uh, I know I'm in a different <laughs> boat here than Nick, it is one of the most delightfully awful films of the last thirty years. I hear it's a masterpiece, low key. In a way, you could say that. Yeah. I don't think you can not be entertained by it. Whether, oh no, I mean whether it's... you're being entertained for right reasons or wrong. Yeah, I mean it's it is. Um, I I think if like this would not be the film that I would use if I were defending Paul Verhoeven films, saying it's some sort of um, masterpiece that was made in a way to. Uh, comment on subjects. I just think Showgirls is, for the most part, just a really bad movie. I don't agree but to disagree. That's fine. Uh, it is entertaining, though. That is for certain. Yeah. So, uh, the film we are talking about today, though... Showgirls 2. Yeah. Is there one of those? Well, yeah. That's the fun thing about all of Paul Verhoeven's American movies, besides Hollow Man. They all, they all got sequel, not from Paul Verhoeven, obviously, mm-hmm. but they... Uh, no, he was he was way above Showgirls, too. Hey, I'm sorry, but he... Uh, but um, no, but the studios loved his movies so much that they didn't realize why uh, sequels were not good ideas. So there is a Showgirls 2... There is a, uh, a basic thing too. There are a ton of Robocop. There are four or five Starship Troopers. So, yeah. yep, it yeah. happens. Hmm. Well, the film is L. Uh, it is technically a dramatic comedic thriller, according to the Internet Movie Database. Oh, that's mm. a 
way of describing it. It's an explanation for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, The film stars Isabelle Hubert, who recently won the Golden Globe for this film. Uh, And it has other actors and actresses, uh, none of which I recall... Knowing before, I just have to point out. I I wanted to. Sorry, I need to say this because okay. I totally forgot about this. But the Showgirls Two <laughs> subtitle, I like guess Showgirls Two, is Pennies. Answer the call. No, it's it's <laughs> it's Pennies from Heaven. But it's the name Penny with an apostrophe S. So it's like Penny is from Heaven, <laughs> and I and I love that. <laughs> so uh, it got a one point eight on IMDb. Uh, Ooh, that's a high number. <laughs> yeah, for that, that's uh, almost as high as Who's Your Caddy. So that's great. So, yeah. anyways, this film L uh, centers, according to IMDb, around a successful businesswoman who gets caught up in a game of cat and mouse as she tracks down Meow. an unknown man Meow. who raped her. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah, that is uh, a good old IMDb. T- um, well, to be fair, everybody was running that synopsis yeah. as far as that's what it was billed as the cat and mouse game. Yeah. So basic. She does also have a cat. She so. does. No mouse. Well, maybe there was one. I don't know. At one point. Not at her house. Oh. What was the cat eating? A bird, right? Yes. Cat, mouse, dom, sub, whatever. (laughs) So, Nick, we all know about your Paul Verhoeven love, so why don't you start us off on this episode talking about Elle? Well, thanks for joining me, you guys. Uh, Yeah. I... Well, I don't think it's any secret that Paul Verhoeven is one of my all-time favorite directors. I continually uh, praise him, not simply for the art of what I what I think I entered his fandom as, which is that, oh, he elevates trash. I, I actually don't even think that anymore. I, I think that sometimes he does that. But I, I think what he does is <clears throat> takes provocatively uh, almost banal and benign looks at extremely provocative subjects. If you look at his entire filmography, there's more than just what he did in the uh, in in America because um, like his most recent movie before L was Black Book and that's a movie that certainly has a lot of sex and nudity and violence and whatnot, but that's a pretty uh, straightforward tale of uh, of World War Two and hiding from Nazis, that kind of thing and whatnot, espionage uh, there within, um, without ever feeling exploitative. And L continues in that train as far as he returns to a subject that he's always, I think, been fascinated with, and now I think he's finally found a movie that um, at least delivers on something worthy of it. Because one criticism, if you want to criticize Paul Verhoeven, which I dare you, but no, but one thing even I can agree to is that he, Paul Verhoeven does probably have an unhealthy obsession with rape. Uh, it is present in just about every movie I can think of that I've seen of his. Um, Robocop? Yeah, well, I mean, whether it's the actual rape is happening or it's about to, but also, yeah, too, there one is, of the criminals uh, is going to rape the woman. Uh, uh, well, I was going to say in Robocop, that one guy. Uh, pulls out his dick right in front of her, so that is yeah. something. Mm. And I think it's something that gets more and more prevalent in, you know, basic... <laughs> Want to ins- help me zip this up? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> basic Instinct has a pretty out-there scene, considering... 
the movie The Actual Plot, in which Michael Douglas rapes his partner. Uh, who they, they have consensual sex, but then in the middle of it, she starts to say no, and he continues anyway. Showgirls is just a rape up and down. Showgirls has, uh, well, it's not even so much up and down, but the final... Uh, the, the rape scene between Nomi's best friend and... Well, and it is... Uh, I mean, we don't need to get too deep into the showgirls plotline. We still have an episode to do on that. Yeah. yeah. No, but I'm just they're, they're, cherry-picking the, yeah, the, no. the icons of rape well, in, in it, his movies. Um, it, it is pretty clearly, I think, drawn that Nomi has... Uh, Unfortunately, experience with rape in the in the past. Yes, that is that is true as well. And yeah. and Hollow Man is all about a man who, once he becomes invisible, realizes that he can get away with rape. So uh, this has not been some kind of new fixation for Paul Verhoeven. But here in L, we finally get a character uh, more complex than that reduction, and in the character of Michelle. Um, Isabel uh, Hooper's performance, I do think, was completely worthy of the Golden Globe. I think what she's doing here is so much more complicated than your typical, just any performance in a movie, because she doesn't get to emote like a lot of actors get to in a very meaty role, where you get to put it out on the line as to what you're thinking. You have to do a lot more internally and be as good as your job for that to be projected outwards toward the audience. And I think she absolutely succeeds here. Um, Elle is a movie that completely took me by surprise, not because I didn't know what it would be about, but because I was still convinced by the end of the day that it would play out more conventionally than it ended up doing. And I was so thankful that I was proven wrong at every turn. I mean, this is a movie that I'd say the first 30 to 40 minutes sets up a basic revenge movie. And then, carefully but nuancedly uh, sidesteps that entire idea for something much more uh, interesting and complex. The whole... <laughs> there, There's a lot to talk about that I'm sure we will talk about. Ultimately, what drew me into this, besides the fact that I just found it to be a funny, dark movie, like I, I liked the, uh, the Christmas dinner scene, and there was a lot of great one-liners or just almost sketches of scenes that I know when I go back, I'll probably laugh harder at the... F- the next time that I did the first time just because I was taken aback by what was happening. But one thing I loved is that I, I won't necessarily call the movie feminist because I hate to... That's become a cliche now. You know, I mean, Mad Max was feminist and, and even if I kind of disagree with the idea that that's what our standards for what something is feminist or not, uh, I, I respect anybody who claims that. But I won't even say that about this movie, but I will say what ended up becoming endearing to me about this movie by the end was the power it placed in its female characters uh, amongst men who continue to make the worst possible choices, uh, usually endangering women in their lives uh, in, in upon making those choices. Um, in fact, I think it's very telling that this movie ends uh, with two women reconciling in a graveyard, and uh, and that just kind of blew me away because I was not expecting that particular element. I thought this was more just be a character study, and while it absolutely is that, it th- there is an interesting stand-in for a lot of other things that are larger than Elle herself. So that's those are my opening thoughts. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I um, I for the most part, it, Paul Verhoeven films are hit or miss for me, really. Um, I love the original RoboCop. Uh, I enjoy 
his work somewhat for the most part. I mean, I, I jokingly talk about how awful Showgirls is, but I've honestly watched it probably like five times. <laughs> so, you know, it it's he certainly can make a film that is worth watching, um, even though I don't necessarily hold him in nearly as high of esteem as Nick does. Uh, I do think he definitely has a lot of talent as a filmmaker. Uh, and this film uh, is probably, I would say, other than the original RoboCop, the best film that I've seen of his. Um, I think this film does so much to tell the story, but also uses events that happen either before the film begins or off screen uh, to really have the viewer make up their mind about almost every character in the film, uh, which I think is a great thing that is uh, something that foreign filmmakers are much better at, uh, either by design or because... Uh, the American filmmaking industry is poisoned by <laughs> studios interfering and wanting simple, um, torn down stories. Uh, but the use of what you don't see in this film um, can change your perspective of almost every action in the film. Uh, specifically, I think the wonderful telling of uh, the childhood of Michelle's character uh, with her father who goes on a murderous rampage and she, for the most part, stands aside and then helps him burn down their house at the end. Yeah, there's no explanation for that and I don't think that there needs to be. It's just a, a, a but, matter of fact. But, but we don't have an explanation, but we do know that there is a historic photo of her taken as she had just helped him burn down the house in her underwear. Um, Wait, didn't we get confirmation that she had helped i thought it was just that she was just there and she was she just, became the center of the controversy she, because she was the only she was public so figure visible, yeah she, that was not going to be arrested mm-hmm. i mean maybe she's just there's the implication com- that she's an accomplice she she comments even on maybe she is just blowing smoke up of off of um what's his name's ass in the uh dinner scene but she does comment that you know, this whole thing happened and I was a child and my dad came home and said he murdered everybody and was burning down the house and I was laughing and I started throwing things on the fire. I don't know if she was just playing into yeah. what the story was or, but yeah. I mean, th- that's, that's the thing is we never get a clearly defined answer of, of that action and we don't get any sort of closure on anything revolving around that because there's whispers and talks about it, even mentions of her rekindling this lost relationship with her father, who we don't know if he's crazy, if he is, in fact, Michael Douglas from... uh, Why can't I think of it right now? Um, uh, Where he's got the tie and he's... Falling apart? Falling down. Down. Oh, that's yeah, a great so. movie, yeah. It's pretty good, yeah. yeah. Uh, whether he's he's that guy or he is just a complete psycho killer who who loses it, uh, you know, there, there's no explanation. But we, we don't even get that. We don't get any closure on that because he kills himself. <laughs> he knows she's going to finally come visit him after all these years of him mm-hmm. wanting her to, supposedly. But it's, it's the off-screen parts that make this such a good film to me and the on screen obviously there's a lot of great acting work here there's a lot of great script writing i think there is some definite poignant comedy that happens throughout whether it be uh meant comedy or it be dark comedy that's not necessarily going for the easy laugh um i i I think there's there's plenty here that uh a audience that has half a brain could it could enjoy throughout 
And then we have uh, the continuation of the story when we sort of have the wizard come out from behind the curtain and we find out who the rapist was here. And then it subverts the entire uh, storyline through the last half hour or so of the film. And uh, it, it's just a very interesting story that uh, I feel like changes directions multiple times without having the abrupt Hollywood M. Night Shyamalan shift. And um, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. And I think there there's a lot of meat here. And um, it was just a very good film. So well done to Papa Paul. Yeah. I knew he could. <laughs> Moving on to Jusant. Okay, so um, Paul Verhoeven is a fucking genius. Uh, I'm not as much of a super fan as Nick. I haven't seen any of his foreign films. I have seen RoboCop and Starship Troopers multiple times. We've already had episodes on that where we talk enthusiastically about those films. Have you seen Total Recall? Yes, I have. You've I fucking love well. Total okay. Recall. Yeah, I was like, I just keep on remembering more great stuff that he's done that I've seen. Um, I guess that's like the, it's almost like the triumvirate of like, like very, very violent, like B sci-fi movies from that era. So I've like, I've seen those. Um, L makes me want to watch more of his foreign films. They're not really foreign. They're like his films that just take place outside of America. But like, yeah. Well, it's funny. I was going to say like, this is, would be a foreign film in the sense that this is not him working in his own language. Whereas the other films of his are from his home country, right? Of Dutch and whatnot. Yeah. This, this L is, one of the most bewildering and provocative films and most memorable films I've seen in the past year. And I only wish that I had seen it sooner. Um, I love the performances in this film. I love what's her name. The, the main actress, Isabel Hooper is Isabel Hooper. Okay. She is just preternaturally calm. She has this menace about her, but at the same time, I, I want to empathize with her cause I'm trying to like understand her and why she, reacts the way that she does like i feel like this entire like movie takes place in some bizarro world but then i it's really not the world that's wrong with with what's going on it's like it's me because like i just don't really have any like through line to this actual culture so i don't have any idea like how they actually would react to it but it's just I, i don't know why everybody is so fucking chill about this woman getting sexually assaulted and they're just just going with it and she's just going with it i i understand that she doesn't want to like involve the police because she always has that that whole history with like acting as sort of like a pseudo accomplice to her father but at some point you have to reach out at, at some point you have to like do something and it, it, it just it gets even more topsy-turvy because like there's p- people who have framed this film as sort of like a revenge narrative and it's not that at all i think and this the the weird like boundaries between consent and assault that are explored in this is just it it, it really just twists it's one my of the brain. few films that I think uh, <laughs> what they gonna say um, it's one of the few films that I would say for good reason uh, is able to tackle the idea that consent and assault can exist at the same time like that that it's not mutually exclusive and yeah. that just because you open <clears throat> the box doesn't mean that there aren't two things in it. And that's kind of what I love about it. Um, you, you know, just like how a person can be right or wrong mm-hmm. at the same time and whatnot. How about the idea of uh, of Michelle being both the protagonist and antagonist in this in this film? 
I'm not necessarily saying that she she is or or like that, but we definitely have sort of whispers of her having this alternate personality that that goes throughout the film, and it doesn't always necessarily relate. Think about her being like a morally good character and a morally like yeah. every, everybody's adamant. Morally so, great character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like <clears throat> at, at times in this film she is quite a bad person. Yeah, no, yeah. she she's got a very cold demeanor that uh, kind of brings out an exterior that essentially is almost combative uh, to the people she supposedly loves and, and, and likes and whatnot. What, what or, I... or hosting a, a Christmas dinner and sort of putting all these people that she, she really doesn't like in a situation where uh, they're going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true as well. Um, one thing I like... And on going off of that note is the idea that, you know, the relationship between her and her son is probably my favorite dynamic in the whole movie. Even though, obviously, the one with her and her uh, uh, perpetrator, the person who commits rape, uh, who ends up being her neighbor across the street. Even though that's probably the more central relationship, the one between her and her son is uh, just so fascinating to me because of the fact that it's she... Isabel Huppert is able to convincingly walk that line between being an actual nurturing mother and wanting the best for your son and yet also not actually allowing herself to step back when needed and not basically diminish her son into nothing. Like, it's funny because essentially, no matter how you want to admit it, um, but the son, I believe, falls for that girl because he sees her mother in her. Uh, certainly, she's mm. more outwardly spoken uh, yeah. in, in a lot of ways, but um, they both will take a knife to him <laughs> at a moment's notice uh, when it doesn't suit their needs. And one thing that I think is actually interesting and something that uh, goes with the suggestion that, okay, if you uh, if you believe that in that scene in which uh, her rapist is killed that she set that whole thing up, which I think is pretty understandable. Yeah. Uh, so if you if you go with that, one thing I love is that actually that's one of the her lowest points, not because she gets a guy killed, but I think she completely used her son with no regard for his... I mean, he's such a much weaker person than mm-hmm. she is uh, to handle any... I mean, he's, he's so simple-minded that it's used to comic relief a lot of times. And so... He, she, she does. I think she knows purposefully that if she lures two men into this situation, well, I, I honestly don't know that she was convinced of which one would win. Other than the the outcome is either her rapist dies and her son saved her, so okay, fine, yay, or her rapist kills her son and they probably fuck over it. Like I, <laughs> like you know, like I could see. This is not a. That would have been a different ending. Oh, it would, but I, but I think her character, by that point, um, because of the fact that she, up until that point, because okay, here's at least why I'm bringing that up is that once it's revealed the neighbor is the rapist, um, and then the idea of consent comes into play more, uh, more than it was before, obviously. Um, We get the scene of them in the basement, uh, in which she basically 
allows him... Well, first she just tries to get him to do it. You know, she's like, okay, do what you did. And then he's like, no, it doesn't work like that. So then she uses violence uh, to escalate it and to get him to come out. And I think she even knows that that can only last for so long. So this was the next step forward um, for that to happen. In fact, I think even sending her son as the head of the party kind of seemed that to make sure that he would be there and not with his... Uh, girlfriend or whatever. I, I don't know. The more I think about that ending, the more I think it's one of the coldest endings uh, for a lot more reasons than simply just the body count that happened. Well, and it definitely brings a lot more involved with sort of the mindset of her father, who, again, we know pretty, for the most part nothing about. Yeah. And then we we see this sort of menacing uh, comparisons between her and this man who we've heard whispers about throughout uh, some parts of the film. And yeah, she she obviously has this weird maniacal um, plotting sort of events happening mm-hmm. in her head, uh, which can continue on throughout the in, the entirety uh, of the film. And yeah, she's just her- a very very interesting character, and also. Um, not somebody who's easy to to get behind as a protagonist. Her profession is literally to orchestrate violence. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, do you think that the that the choice to, it's about ethics and sexual consent? Oh my fucking god! Don't don't bring me to that corner. I mean, that tail going up there was pretty graphic. Yeah, that 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 would never. Oh my god! Uh, that would. Ne- what was that? That would never. <laughs> Uh, make it to market at all, ever? No. Nope. It would be banned. Pussy. Uh, it would be banned. How about all the rape scenes and uh, like, so fight, can... like Grand Theft Auto and that kind of thing. I was just saying we can have not... hot coffee, but we can't have a no, demon. No, you can't. You can't have hot coffee. Well, That's we the... got hot coffee. Well, no, you don't get it. No, <laughs> I, I you don't. I got it. God damn it. Um. We can't visually see this going in, but if it's off screen, she's got a great San Andreas. <laughs> anyway, wow, uh, good, one, I, good I one, Nick. I really don't know where to go from there. <laughs> so, uh, talk about her profession and what that means, as far as that thematically relevant, or do you think it's yeah, do more I, than that or less than that? It's like I think that it might actually be thematically re- relevant because it's about like. <laughs> Chasing after ever increasing more highs, like she's like knows, like she has to be demure at this point. And then you don't have like the whole like fuck up like later on. And it's just like I don't, I I, I I don't know whether that also feeds into her necessity to engage in this relationship with Patrick. Oh, absolutely, I think she's a person who quite literally gets off. I think she on she, fantasies. No, well, maybe that, but. Um, where I was going is that I think she puts routinely she puts herself in situations in which she has to be an adversary to men. I mean, you you go into that profession and you know as far as they either love her or they fucking hate her. Yeah, and she but most of the time they hate her, and I think she she gets off on that. I mean, if you if you you have, and I think it's partly influenced by her daddy issues. Um, clearly, you know, but, but what I like about that is that then there are are enough shades of a different side of her that she's not one thing and which would be completely, 
uh, I would say which would be a betrayal of the script in general because to make her one thing is to be a perpetrator of exactly what you know all the characters are doing in this movie, which is re- uh, reducing her to whatever stereotype, fantasy, or uh, cliche that they want her to fulfill. Uh, but, for example, we learn that she leaves her ex-husband because he hit her. And, you know, to know that that's something that happened in her past, but also to know that she doesn't accept that as love, I think is a huge uh, character trait that speaks volumes about where the lines are drawn for her and what what certain things so and and I like that because I do think that does set out a foundation to where this story is fucked up but it's also not it can't really be targeted as like stupid you know 50 shades shit where we as an audience have to buy into things that are mistaken as love but are really just abuse like she, she's much more than that she knows exactly what one and the other is and she knows when to reject one and when to use the other to her advantage and, mm-hmm. and i absolutely love that definition of her yeah. character um another thing mm-hmm. <laughs> i enjoyed um gotta say i gotta hand it to the guy who plays a no speaking part as the uh, black friend of <laughs> of uh, of the son's wife. One of the best performances of the entire film. It was great because Jesus fucking Christ. He's in every like shot of you know that whatever, and yet he's just the smile on his face when that baby's being born, like not oblivious, but just not giving a shit. Like this, <laughs> what are you gonna do? And um, which I also think is another telling trait of. Like, everybody knows that the son is a fucking idiot. And yeah. not so much that the son believes what he's seen, but that he's so simple-minded that he can't stray from whatever the narrative he thinks he needs to follow. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, just him in the window is just wonderful. Yeah, and then that line of, we're going to need a DNA <laughs> test is, is great. And the, the son almost, like, uh, me, myself, and Irene blissfully being like, yeah. That guy was the only thing missing from the Christmas dinner scene. Like, I would have loved if he was there not speaking a line but if he was just taking care of the baby the whole time in the background like just that, smiling just yeah. a shit eating grin it's like a little au pair uh, yeah. that would have been just <laughs> he's the au pair yeah <laughs> as, as the sun as the sun looks at his little green balls on the yeah. on the plate sorry yeah. really random love and friendship reference there that is true thank you sir <laughs> um, but yeah that 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 part of the film is interesting talking about the the sun for the most part being this um, witless kind of person who uh, is obviously struggling to find any sort of place really in the world. Is he, he's he's taken a job at a fast food restaurant uh, to support his like McDonald's, which is also across the street from yes. McDonald's. And I love when she goes to yes, uh, pick him right. up; she, she'll meet him across the street at McDonald's, McDonald's but yeah. not at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. That that was that was I was going yeah, to mention that. that, was, that I'm was, so embarrassed. Like I, I'm going to go to the real and, restaurant. And he made her a Sunday, and and she's like, "Oh, thanks, this oh, is great." Man. But we have this this son, and she even makes a reference, and you know something that obviously, well, maybe she would because she's kind of a kind of an asshole to him. But at the same time, she would never necessarily say to him. But talking about how this moron comes from, and I, I love the idea of her. Almost um, 
not necessarily blaming it, but then sort of seeing where she's kind of going with talking about allowing her friend to breastfeed him and they have this great relationship. And uh, I think that's something that, that plays into this film is this very bizarre relationship she has with her, her best friend who she's a partner with in this video game company. Uh, We see very interesting things happening throughout the film where she gave birth on the same day as uh, Michelle's character did to her son and her child died. And that's how they meet too. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then she allows her to breastfeed him and her son and her best friend have this great, almost awkward relationship a couple times as we see throughout the film. Uh, also too, uh, Michelle is uh, having sex with her best friend's husband who is uh, not a great person uh, as we see throughout this and she comes right out and tells her at a huge night for them of oh by the way uh, your husband's cheating on you with me I'm so, the one who's sleeping with right. him yeah and it, it doesn't I don't necessarily feel like it isn't necessarily menacing or anything like that but it comes off as being very odd timing to be dropping all of that it's uncomfortably and I would say uh, almost mean spiritedly dispassionate you know calculated right and and it's like on the one hand i actually do think she was trying to do it Mm -hmm. not a nice thing but the right thing so to speak it was just at the wrong yeah like that's something she didn't think about and you know you bring up the important i think the aspect of the story of how they met and uh, the breastfeeding i think that's another great character building trait where like intimacy in all its forms is not something that means the same thing to Michelle that it does to most people, you know, and that something like that, which is a lot to a lot of, uh, I assume at least, I won't speak for females, but but obviously we at least we're told that that is a huge, almost a sacred thing between a mother and their children. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet to some people like Michelle, uh, it's just... Like I, I don't think it was like Here, you hard. Want to turn? Yeah, like I don't think it was hard for her to. Be, I think she was probably like, oh. but 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 yet it seems like she almost almost blames well, that action. And that's another yeah. thing as far as. But before we get to that, yeah. I will say, and Michelle, the character, is not. That's where you said Tucson that this takes place in a bizarre world. I agree, and yet that one aspect I've seen in real life because I have seen. I won't name drop. But I've seen people uh, that I know very well breastfeed mm. children that aren't theirs. Mm. And, um, yeah, so th- there are people who are, have that laissez-faire attitude about, uh, which I don't think it's a bad thing or whatever. It's got to eat. That's right. Something that we, we haven't mentioned yet is that we're three Americans watching a film that takes place in French culture, which not necessarily saying that that's an explanation for anything, but but French culture is definitely different than American culture for sure. Right. And what you were saying, though, to move on now, but onto the part of which that she kind of maybe resents uh, horror. 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 She resents her friend and also business partner for that relationship that her son has with her friend. Um, What I like about that, for me at least, is that's also painting different shades to the same character, which is that she's not imperfect. And she, I think, that's one area in her life that she doesn't take accountability for, uh, in that her son doesn't like her friend more than her because her friend breastfeed her. Or, mm-hmm. You know, you can't draw those parallels between intimacy, between a n- non-cognizant infant and a mother or whatever um, when you treat your son like shit. Not 
completely. She's not an utter monster or whatever. But I, I, I like that aspect that she kind of blind to her own uh, demeanor sometimes. And um, I'm, I'm looking at one of the posters we have in the studio. And I've mentioned this so many times. But looking at the Big Lebowski poster, and I can't help but think of uh, the parallels between the scene of them... Uh, Scattering Donnie's ashes yes. in the Big Lebowski. Yeah, and this film, where almost it's like she's angry, she's screaming at. I think her his name is Vincent. Mm-hmm. Is her is her the, son's name? Yeah. Yes, Vincent. In, in this film, yeah. she's pissed off as he's running away and just had this. As it appeared, it was about to escalate into physical violence as they are uh, scattering her mother and his grandmother's ashes. And then she just turns around and said, this place is good, and just takes the top off and dumps the urn, and that's the end of the scene. And it's like, that is the most, one of the most dispassionate endings to, you know, those moments. Like, you think of uh, in The Descendants scattering the ashes in the Hawaiian ocean (laughs) while they're floating away with the floating candles and this beautiful thing, and you see her looking like she's dumping out a hotel ice bucket (laughs) over the ledge, and it's like, boy, this is... Not a great moment for Make her. Make sure you get it all out there. For, Pat the bottom. Seriously, her mother, Liza Minnelli, was in that urn, and now she's now she's dead. So there you go. Yeah. And her her and her mother's relationship, how about that? <laughs> that was wonderful. I like that her mother doesn't really ever do anything wrong in this movie. I, I, yeah, I, you could certainly see why she, some of her behavior might be annoying, quote-unquote. But in general, like her mother is the complete opposite of her, which is able to live out whatever fantasy narrative, whatever that she wants to without harming anybody whatsoever. And yet um, Michelle takes it all as an affront. And I think part of that is resentment to, I'm sure uh, an upbringing as far as um, the mother unable to, uh, to allow her daughter to distance herself from her uh, husband, which, you know, has got to be kind of, you know, it's like, how can you be so laissez-faire about, all these things like love, marriage, whatever, and yet call me a bitch for the way I, you know, and so I, I completely understand that dynamic. Um, and yet, all we ever see is the mother like having a good time, and of course, the reoccurring uh, boyfriend, prostitute, and then husband. Well, going to be <laughs> going husband, to be, yeah, yeah, yeah um, was was delightful. And th- there were two, and obviously, a lot of the things surrounding the mother were used for uh, whether they be flat out comedy or dark comedic effect throughout um but the two that are obvious are to me the ones that jump out the most are when they are at the aforementioned christmas dinner which was for sure for me the standout scene of the film which a lot of dinner scenes are uh and we have the moment of the mother standing up and announcing that her and her prostitute friend are going to be getting married and you have isabel hubert in the midst of all the applause around the table, just bored them. <laughs> it is just, oh man, that was wonderful. And then uh, we have the moment where she comes to collect uh, the mother's things from her old apartment, and the guy's there and asking her to leave. And she's like, you know, he's like, I, you know, I was going to be married to, to your mother. And then we see this woman walking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As he's giving uh, her, this her naked, advice. Right. Is this naked woman walks out from, from there. And yeah, and then you have the very uh, awkward part where he pretty much tells her not anything she hasn't heard before, uh, all these horrible things about what a horrible person she and her father was. Uh, and that's uh, 
such an interesting dynamic to this film. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta bring up one moment, which is during that dinner scene, uh, there was one moment that, like, is completely set up, so it's, like, it's an inevitability, and yet I still didn't think it was going to happen, which is the, the fact that she put a toothpick in, uh... Um, the her ex husband's girlfriend's food or whatever because she jokes about it and she before that she had joked about a lot of things that weren't true or whatever mm-hmm. but I love it that uh, that's why like that scene alone and a lot of other whatever makes me call this microaggression the movie because <laughs> it's, it <laughs> literal microaggression it, it's just her not necessarily seeking revenge but always making sure that no one person like will uh, ever I don't know be at ease yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and because no one will let her uh, yeah. uh, feel like that. And so um, before we get talking about the the main plot line of this film, which surrounds her and her attacker, who turns out to be her neighbor and uh, gets way deeper into that, specifically uh, late into the film. But um, I-, I wanted to mention something, and that is regarding the theme of religion that is used throughout this film. And uh, I wanted to get your take specifically, Nick, about uh, that surrounding here, because uh, we just did an episode last week on uh, the Morton Scorsese film Silence, which is entirely surrounded by religion and as the main theme, uh, faith specifically in the film. And here we have a, a very interesting uh, view on specifically on Catholicism as it is used and um, Christmas at the Vatican is used throughout. Uh, we even see it happening on the television at the, at the Christmas party. And boy, you have a very interesting view uh, from the next door neighbor uh, as she is a devout Catholic. She travels to go see the Pope uh, in a different country uh, at one point, which is used as a plot plot line story. So whatever. Yeah. But um, one of the last lines spoken in this film is her basically saying um, that, A, I knew that my husband, A, raped you, and B, then you were allowing him to rape you. Yeah, what the fuck was that? And B, thank you for doing that because at least you gave him some pleasure. Before he died. And what a fucked up way to end that conversation. Mm -hmm. And, And... it's just interesting that someone who is right to me, well, a uh, a, a devout Catholic religious person who we see smiling and trying to be happy throughout, uh, and is taking such a unusual view on that and trying to take some weird, bizarre, positive outcome, while at the same time, almost like with. Catholic priests almost not necessarily. I got that vibe too. Allowing it, but yeah. um, I was just about to say spotlight turning the other cheek while it's happening. Yeah. And it's just very odd. Um, and it it was an interesting theme throughout the film that was really under the surface. Gotta yeah. find a way to get those demons out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I pretty much I think you pretty much said it all. Yeah. Um, as far as that, it's not necessarily a prevalent theme, but it's definitely runs throughout. Um. I mean, religion itself is of no importance to L, the character, 
which it makes it all the more interesting that it's present in the movie. Um, that's why it's almost a joke, but I'm half serious when I say it's one of my favorite Christmas movies now. <laughs> because Christmas, to myself, not to like get into like rapey vibes or anything, but Christmas is something unlike Elle, but it's uh, but something that I participate in very fondly, and yet have no religious. Uh, religiously sentimental value for it's uh, something that's completely different so the whole like this is what's happening around you like you know i that that's something that i can certainly relate to and um i just like the way it adds very macabre uh, images to this movie for example we see the the neighbors setting up their manger and there's a moment when the um the extremely devout wife goes to the car maybe it was the husband but one of them does and um we, it's the 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 camera angle that's being used that's shooting uh, the car parked on the side of the street is wonderful because it pretty much hides what's actually in the in the trunk of a car, but you just see like what looks like a body hanging out or whatever, and it's not really until the character gets up there and pulls it out that you realize that it's just one of the manger you know figures, but it looked before that like a wrapped up body and you know little things like that that I like that this movie just was kind of always put me at unease as far as what I was watching and just the juxtaposition of how weirdly statuesque the idea of religion is. You know, it's something you put up in your front yard because apparently that reinforces your faith. And um, and it's all about that public versus private persona. You know, religion yeah. itself uh, ties into Elle's thematic journey because of the fact that most people who are religious are two religious people in one. They're the, and I'm talking like deeply religious not necessarily just semi but um you know they're the they're, there's the religious self that goes to church always puts money in the pot and you know has nothing but good things to say about thy neighbor and then there's that religious person who's at home who <laughs> probably indulges in things that clearly their religions say that you know you should not indulge in or you should uh <laughs> not allowed to happen and they're brendan gleason from calvary yeah and um and it's that two-faced nature that, you know, uh, and what Elle herself is trying to do is trying to merge those into a into one persona so she doesn't have to necessarily hide uh, one over the other uh, and trying to achieve, I think, what a lot of people, not just religious, but in general in humanity, just fail to do and reconcile because we all have these private selves that we wish we could just be in the light of day but are afraid to because we're afraid of what people would say or not say in in the in light of it and so i think that's uh, ultimately where it ties into the movie yeah. and ties into her character and i i do like that aspect of it a lot and i i had already mentioned and kind of went in in detail about that sort of passing remark at the end of the film but i feel like that is such an important part of the film because it changes the dynamic of the neighbor's whole relationship where you could have gone on if that whole conversation never took place, just assuming that the wife had no idea what was happening. But boy, it makes her uh, out to be not necessarily an accomplice in this, but someone who definitely oh, knew it was happening and didn't necessarily encourage it, but definitely turned a blind eye. And it, it's just a uh, you know two sentence comment that she makes. But, and it comes and that's part of it. We're seeing it one time in the theater. It comes and goes so quickly. But it, it just, reminds you of the uh, yeah. of the scene, the very short scene, but the scene in uh, uh, uh The Vanishing, uh, in which uh, uh, the the killer is uh, running around in his car and tries to lure a woman who basically won't fall for his 
trick, but points out uh, the area in which he could probably find someone to fall for his mm-hmm. uh, rape routine. Um, or not rape, but killer or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but no. Um, yeah, I got it. Yeah, so I, I definitely am a fan of that part. In fact, with the reveal of that at the end, with you know the wife making that comment, you know it's kind of interesting how then she for a, for a role that was touted off as being like a devoutly Christian, you know, Catholic, whatever, um, she was maybe going to be the only pure person in the movie, and then that curtain gets drawn and said, no, you know she she is just like everybody else who won't really speak on what's happening on behalf of Michelle's character. Um, Actually, you know, she's almost, it, it's almost like she's actually, I don't want to say worse, because she's not the one who's physically out there raping people and allowing this to happen. And the comments made, who, who else have you done this to? I, Michelle is probably not the only person who has been fallen victim to, to this guy who's out there just fucking raping people. But um, we see her, she obviously has knowledge that... He, her husband has raped her and, and it's and- not just knowledge she not and not only just welcomes it but when you watch the movie again you know try not to watch the scene of her saying oh um paul will walk you home tonight Th- this is what i'm saying yeah. though like it, it's know, almost like, like she is an accomplice as yep. she's allowing this to happen saying oh he, he wants yep. to get at that Woo. absolutely and it's 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 way fucked up it, it is for sure i i want to talk about we can move on to a different scene. Yeah, uh, we mentioned obviously earlier, but I want to talk about the the killer, the confrontation scene between yeah, the, the rapist, mm-hmm. the, the rapist L, and what ended up being also her son. Yeah. Um, before I give any thoughts on it, I'm just curious: was that a satisfying conclusion to this story, or what did you guys feel about this the scene in general? Without taking anything past it into context, I mean, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. I, I thought that it's not something that I necessarily, you know, I, I'm i not sure if I necessarily expected it to end up that way, but after the fact, like watching it as it happened, I was just like, yeah, this is going to happen. This is how it's going to play out. So I was satisfied with it. Yeah, I don't know about it necessarily being a, a satisfying scene because I thought the, uh, actually one of, not, I won't say a criticism of the film, but I feel like the entire events surrounding the whole moving from the party to that and her setting it up with her son was a little um, a little flimsy, in my opinion, uh, in terms of how she actually set that up and him following that and then ended up being there and as if she had meant to do that, which I think is pretty obvious. Uh, but the whole setup of that I thought was a little bit vague and, and could have been done better, in my opinion. But... Uh, that that final scene where we do see the the rape taking place, where it, it's actually quite awkward because he drops her off at home and almost goes home and puts on his rapist outfit and then comes back to consummate the rape that he's about to, to oh, do. I think do. he had that hat in his pocket. <laughs> and <laughs> Literally like a Superman. But he comes in wow. with the cat burglar outfit and the ski mask um overpowers her it has her on the floor throws her around uh mm-hmm. and really just throws her off the wall and off a, a piece of furniture and then the son comes in and whacks him one time over the head with a log i believe it is yeah i think so uh, I forget, but yeah. and and 
yeah, fucking it, brains him. Yeah, uh, it brains it, him. It really, you see his fucking brains. Yeah, uh, it, it is definitely, uh, I would say, a pretty restrained takeaway from a uh, a um, a passionate murder, uh, not murder, but passionate killing. killing, because it's just a one whack across the head, which is almost like a. He he had power that he didn't know he had because it, it, I don't know if he meant to kill him with that strike. And Absolutely. yet he, he dies there as he takes off the ski mask and he's just got blood draining from his head. And he has that remark, which we are probably going to speak on here in a minute, uh, and then falls down and, and that's it. And yeah, I thought it was actually a, a quite fitting conclusion, but I, I feel like... Uh, Everything surrounding it probably could have been a little bit tighter. I, I could see that. I think the vagueness of the editing that precedes that sequence is by choice because I think Verhoeven and the editor are purposefully trying, A, obviously for first time viewing, trying to get you in the mindset of what's going to happen, whatever. But more so than that, because I hate movies that only rely on uh, the first time experience as the best experience type editing and whatnot. But more so than that, I, I like the fact that it once again uh, another reveal of her character in the sense that she is continually having to shed layers of who we think she is and whatnot. So it's just another way to reinforce that one last time before uh, before that happens. Um, just talk about that scene in general. Uh, so when the son uh, brains uh, of the, the neighbor who's... What's his name? Is it... Patrick. 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 There we go. Yeah. Yeah, so when Patrick is uh, slugged out and he takes off the ski mask and he's got the final remark, which is, why? Yeah. And um, so I guess we'll discuss that now. Yeah. And what I love about that is that, you know, I watched it, and of course, the immediate reaction, I think, for most people would be that you think that he's asking, why would you have me killed? Like, why would you orchestrate this the way you did? That kind of question or whatever. I thought we had this great thing going here where I rape you and you're fine with it. Right. Like, you know, and yet the more I think about it, and like, it was like moments after the movie had ended, the more I start to think that that's actually not my own personal viewpoint of what transpired in that scene. And that it's actually more of a question. I, you know, I like that a, a lot of people when they go see this movie, uh, are not going to be able to like identify with Michelle, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can identify with parts, you know, whether it be family dysfunction or, uh, other things or whatever, but father who murders 32 people. It happens. Mm-hmm. And animals. <laughs> and, uh, um, but in general, she's going to be at a distance and purposefully. So, and I like that he almost becomes this audience surrogate that when faced with, you know, his impending death, he dropped the charade of being okay with this and, and investigates why would you be into this? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's until he has nothing left and can't obviously perform that he starts to actually, uh, coldly analyze what's happened and and he admits that he just doesn't understand what the fuck is happening and of course that same exact feeling is what can fuel uh, sexual arousal that hit to the noggin was really what cleared his head i guess yeah yeah um and and that's how i take away that scene now is more of just like immense inability to understand the complexity of female desires the same way that like you know like why do we not accept that the same can be true for both sexes, whether it be, you know, the coldness one tre- treats intimacy or uh, role reversal and whatnot. So. Yeah. yeah, because 
the the interesting uh, other side of of that relationship coin is when he plays the hunky gentleman role that would usually have been played by Richard Gere in the 1990s where he comes over and closes all the shutters and goes in for the for the for the kill well yeah. being allowed to and he just can't do it now there's uh the the obvious read to that is that he cannot perform with somebody who is allowing it um you know at least at that point another read of that could be that she would know it was him uh, <laughs> and maybe he wasn't down for her knowing that he was her rapist at that point i i don't know i mean there's there that that's a sort of reading you could have of that scene but yeah that's an interesting dynamic that feels a little odd uh, at that time uh but it does kind of make sense because you think that he is this religious person along with his wife, even though he got a foot job under the table at Christmas dinner. Um, <laughs> That's a sentence. Yeah. Well, uh, I never took him as a religious person. I, I, I didn't either, okay. but, but but at that point in the, in the film, we don't necessarily know every single thing That's about true. him. That's true. But I guess I, I will say from the very beginning, I saw him, his treatment of his wife's religion to be the flip side of her treatment of his sexual preferences. <laughs> Basically like, yeah, I'm just going to let this happen even though I don't quite agree with whatever you're doing over there but let's put major lady yeah let's put mary right here okay <laughs> um, i think that you're reading nick uh i it's not immediately what i came to uh, but i also like very much agree with it i think that might actually be sort of the intended reading for this like when i initially saw that scene and i witnessed like patrick's final line which is why i thought it was more of like it, it was from his perspective, like, why would you orchestrate this to kill me? But I don't think that that was her intention at all. It's like, I don't even think that she, when I was watching initially, I don't even think she planned for that to happen. It just sort of happened. And then she just kind of like went with it and just like, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I totally agree with your reading. Yeah. And another thing I love about that final confrontation is that it ultimately shows how powerful Elle is and not so much in what she can orchestrate. But um, in that final moment, we see a man basically, uh, you know, we're reminded of the fact that he, uh, at least in what you had mentioned earlier, that's my, you know, takeaway as far as his sexual dysfunction is that he really can't get it up and can't, unless it's in this completely uh, whatever. And what I like is that, um, I don't know that he necessarily has, like, guilt, guilt, but I think that is what fuels... uh, why he can only perform in that moment because unless it's real he doesn't want to think about the ramifications of what he's into and of course the damage it would actually whatever because of course we see him literally on the streets outside uh the the apartment like after one of the first rape after she knows who it is and he just kind of waves at her like hello yeah he's got his fucked up hand after she stabs yeah. him which is definitely definitely is something but and I don't think he allows himself to feel any guilt or anything like that, but I do think once he was uh, knocked out or whatever and the end is there and he's got no more, nothing left, like that all does come washing to him. And I like that in stark contrast, Elle is a person who doesn't feel guilt about yeah. any of this. Like she completely owns up to the fact that I think she, she likes what she likes in that situation. Yeah. And that's ultimately why she wins in the end because she doesn't let something as petty as, uh, as grievances and guilt like that, uh, you know, take her down. Uh, two parts of this film that I actually did not care for, uh, 
are things that are pretty standard, um, trying to make them that are completely for the first time viewing. But after that, if they're done well, they could be fine. But if they're not, which is I feel like they were here, uh, they're completely bankrupt, which were uh, the two characters of the two dudes who work at her video game place. The one who clearly is just this weird antagonist character that we as the audience are led to believe could be the perpetrator. The red herring. Yeah. Are you talking about the macho one? Yeah. Oh. And I, I just didn't, I didn't... I guess I never once bought that either one of them were. I, did, I didn't either, but it seems like that was their sole purpose, was to yeah. just be this person who the audience could think may be the rapist. Understanding the dynamic Ew. of that company that she's, like, the co-head of that studio, and to have that guy talk to her in that way being like your liberal arts degree is preparing you for like functionality and playability i'm just like you have balls dude <laughs> holy shit if i ever talked to my boss that way <laughs> damn yeah i i like those two characters hmm. because of the fact okay. that i think um ultimately they they played into the cliches that i you know as someone who's like an outsider of the gaming world yeah. like um they're both flip sides of coins that I stereotypically visualize uh, as people who make games, which are these macho bro dudes who, like... They've only seen two movies, and that's Alien and Aliens. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. And um, who, yeah, are the kind of Gamergate, like, grab by the pussy esque uh, you know, mentality, whatnot. Damn, that's a dog pile. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then there's the other type, which is, and I know these are both two evil types, and I'm not saying that they're, I'm saying the stereotypically, the canonically uh, bad personas of, uh, and then you have the other, who is like the nice guy who, um, you know, seems like they're there to help because, but secretly they are just like that asshole that they pretend not to be like. Yeah, but he had so many, and I guess that's where I get tripped up a little bit. Like there was like almost like silly stereotypes like, oh, he's got a file of her on his own computer and he goes shooting on the weekends. I mean, I know it's just part of the plot line, but it feels, I felt like those two characters were pretty poorly I mean, they're only supposed to be there. I know. That's what I mean. I know. You know, I, um, the, the, the other aspect of the film that I was going to oh. mention that I didn't yeah. necessarily uh, love or think will bring anything after seeing this film for the first time were all the little sort of hints that the uh, the neighbor leaves, like the semen on the bed with the, the note on it. I was The first time through, I was like, oh, he's supposed to be stalking her and, and leaving her. But now especially after seeing the way that their relationship ends towards the end of the film, I feel like those are pretty meh scenes, but I don't know. Um, yeah, those scenes didn't bother me. I think it effectively captures the uh, uncomfortable. I mean, we have to be I mean, faced it, uh, with the fact yeah, that he's no. not simply raping her. Sure. He is consuming her life. Like, he's not letting her have a peace of mind even between the sexual assaults mm -hmm. um, to the point where... And, and what's interesting about that is that, you know, the whole stalker vibe is it's kind of interesting because we have actual visual images in the movie of her doing the same thing to him. Yes. You know, you have the scene in which she's looking through binoculars at her neighbor. And, of course, it's first time viewing, you're thinking it's kind of an innocuous scene of just her trying to scope out who could her rapist be or her looking at um, the person she's attracted to secretly and whatnot. And it's kind of an element of both. But... 
also she's just as much into it. And I like that um, she, you know, I think she's a very purposeful person. So it bothers her when he's not there because mm-hmm. then he's getting all the pleasure from it, you yeah, know? Sure. And and that's what's disturbing about all those scenes. And that's why, you know, she slams her laptop shut she and whatnot. Um but that's ultimately uh, what draws uh, him back because, of course, he can't just do that. He needs uh, more, so to speak. And yeah. and I, I like the – yeah, I, I just I thought that was more purposeful than just, like, red hearings or anything like that. It was okay. just um, – it's just – you know, it's, it's funny because as much as I dogpile on the uh, cat and mouse synopsis and reduction – She is a cat, too. Um <laughs> There is elements to that because even though the answer becomes so simple as to who it is and whatnot and uh, there's more to it than that, there is this game of like who is in control because both parties want to be in control for their own pleasure and uh, gain. So, um, And that's just an, one element of that. Um, yeah. So. So do we want to get any deeper into to that relationship any more than we have already talked about? Uh, um, no, I mean, only because I, I have something else I would talk about. Okay. If you're good, and then, yeah. then maybe we'll go on to ratings. Sure. Or, um, but one thing that I don't think we've talked on too much, we did at least in via relationship with her son, but the relationship between her and her friend, I think, is also important. Yeah. Um, so we have these business partners and you know we me alex you had told the story that she had told of how they met on the day that they were both going to give birth and whatnot um ultimately their relationship became the most affecting for me emotionally like um you know she's isabel who bears character l is uh screwing uh her best friend's husband uh throughout the movie and has been uh before the movie had started um in a very dispassionate way. Yeah, that, that, that guy's a creep, too. He he very much is. He, he's, he's a creep, but he's more of the pathetic, benign kind. Like, there's at yeah, no but, point where... And that's why Elle is completely bored the whole time, because there's never a moment in which he has control over Elle. Um, no, but, but but at the same time, he, he thinks he does, and he oh, can yeah. just walk in and be like... Well, you I just think speech. most people, are, most guys, good and bad, are like him in, in the end, as far as, you know... They like to close the bedroom door and pretend that they are uh, more, uh, I don't know, uh, more of a man than they think they are or whatever <laughs> cliche you'd want to phrase it as. Yeah. yeah. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I think Elle is sleeping with him, uh, like I said, in a very dispassionate way. And w- there's no real rhyme or reason as to why she's doing it other than obviously just the little sexual gratification I would guess that she gets. Um, but I do think it's kind of liberating for her when she, she is raped, when she can compare black and white as to what, uh, you know, what is actually pleasurable and what's not in, in, in her own mind. Um, and so I think what's interesting is that it's so clinical that by the time she breaks up with him and has it end, you know, whatever, that's when her friend finds out. And so I think... One interesting thing is actually that's one of the the best things she does in the movie when she does tell her friend, even though it's like one of the worst poorly thought out uh, actions she performs. Um, 
ultimately I think she was just done with pretending with yeah. a, with regards to a lot of things. And I think like that is the moment in which she you know she tells her friend that she's cheating on uh, that she's the one sleeping with her husband. She takes her rapist home to officially reenact. And I think that's what's interesting about that final confrontation too, is that is a stark reenactment. Like in the basement, that's more of a role play. Like, can we recapture whatever? But it was like, that was going back to basics. This is what I wanted. And so we're going to do this now, whatever. Um, she kind of accepts her son at that party too. Like it's from that moment on that, you know, trying to get, give him a job instead of just belittle him, you know? So it's that moment. Oh, and she even passes off her husband to the, uh, employee that she kind of before that point, uh, kind of hated because mm-hmm. he was an asshole. So I think that's at the that party, the that business party, that she finally kind of lets go of all the things that she can't control because she realizes that they won't make her happy anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think ultimately that's the message of the movie is, like, your definition of happiness cannot be defined about on how you think others would be happy and, and vice versa. Well, it, al- it also is something, too, that... that sort of action only takes place after both her parents have died too. Yeah, that's true. And th- yet then there's something to be said about, yeah, being freed from those constraints. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, although she's certainly taken a play out of her mom's playbook uh, <laughs> as far as like being carefree and whatnot. Yeah. And so, yeah. So ultimately the fact that the final scene is, uh, is her and her friend reuniting in a cemetery as they walk across the, this path be, in between the gravestones. It's just one of my favorite images because, like I said earlier, even though I hesitate to call it like a feminist movie, I think it does ultimately err on the side of that females are the most powerful sex and uh, they will leave a, a literal trail of, of dead bodies in their wake uh, if you if you because that's the thing too they will shit in your heart yeah and instead of looking f- towards the men in her life whether it be the the ex-husband or the son or whatever she i think she realized at the end that she's only going to get i think at least a semblance of normalcy and happiness uh from the f- one female relationship she has, she has in her uh, in her life, and instead of resenting her for petty things, you know, like the the son's relationship with her and whatnot, maybe she should accept it, which she ultimately also does for her son's wife. Not that I think she ever like comes around on her, obviously. But man, that is uh, that got a huge guffaw on me, out of me uh, with the daughter or the daughter-in-law leaving the baby in the car oh, in the final scene. Like nobody's changed, but that's okay. <laughs> At least no one's being raped. <laughs> And her, <laughs> the the uh, the the daughter-in-law or whatever you want to call her's reaction to just almost talk about laissez-faire, being like, "Oh, the baby." Yeah. Uh, there's oh the baby. baby. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. At least she remembered. I was well, gonna say I mean, that was only a... after the uh, the crying started. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, man. Yeah, boy. Yeah. How about that scene, really quick? Yeah. When they go to look at the apartment and <laughs> she the. Uh, Elle had agreed to buy them a, what was it, a, an oven or some, something useful, you know, a, a dishwasher or whatever. And they're like, oh, well, we already have one of those, so we thought you'd buy us a TV. And, <laughs> and they're measuring it, literally, yeah. and whatever. That's just a... I, I they're said, also moving into an apartment that uh, is more expensive than what the son said it was going to be, and they've already pretty much bought it, yep. too. And that's yep. such a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> some, I, I know people like that. And, I... Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> I think we all do. I, yeah. 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 And they're not necessarily the greatest. No. No. Yeah. But you got to do you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Even if it means being raped. Uh, so who wants to go to ratings? Yes. Tucson, why don't you go first so uh, we can get around to Nick so we can go go last. Yeah, sounds okay. good. Cool. Um, I love this film. I walked out of this film feeling almost... Whoa, you walked out? I walked out at the end of this film I'm never feeling... never not make that joke. Just sort of... I don't know. I, I just felt kind of dirty because I liked it, and, and and I felt like I felt a little bit like Michelle, and I'm just like, am I consenting to something that's just so profane and and horrible? I was like, no, but this is actually like a really great, like tense drama thriller, um, and I would give it a four out of five. Ooh. High rating. Oh yeah, it was song. a fucking great movie. Go see it. Yeah, I'll echo a lot of the sentiments that we've said throughout. Although I don't think I'll give it as high of a rating as you guys. I still think this is a wonderful film. <laughs> I mean, it's good. Not necessarily the themes are, are wonderful throughout. But uh, there's a lot of different things here for a um, you know definitely seasoned film viewers to, to enjoy. I don't necessarily know if a uh, you know standard American audience could go from watching wedding crashers to watching this and get the same out of it. But still, uh, I, I do think there's a lot here to, uh, you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot here to, uh, there's rape and wedding crashers to, to parse through. Sorry. Yeah, there, yeah, <laughs> there is there. Wow. There's, there are things happening. And anyway. are we talking about the, uh, the bed scene? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love too. This is so random, <laughs> but I love uh, when uh, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson are walking back to the uh, to the boat to leave uh, the the house. That uh, that Vince Vaughn is carrying the uh, the painting that is made of him. I just I, there's some about it that just I just every time just yeah. giggle. So, anyways, getting back to my rating for this film, uh, I give it three and a half out of five, as I think this is a very well done film, and something that uh, is uh, going to be uh, for sure interesting on uh, on the second viewing, which I'm I'm looking forward to down the road. So uh, happy that we got a chance to see this in the theater. Obviously, a pretty limited run it would appear for l i think it disappeared from the theater that we saw it at already oh, this weekend that's unfortunate yeah I'm but pissed off i'm glad we got to I see mean, it still yeah, so yeah. that that's something there so yeah three and a half out of five for me for l as uh is a pretty strong effort i believe from mr verhoven moving on to nick so we can talk about his uh, his man crush one thank more time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Once again, I just want to thank you both for joining me. And, um, yeah, I don't think it's obviously a secret that I love this movie. Um, once again, I'm continually amazed by Paul Verhoeven's trust in his, in his audience because this is the same cinematic trick that he's been doing for years, which is that he wants to make a movie that's explicitly something that you just don't do, um, whether it be, in this case, take a taboo topic and try to, I wouldn't say humanize it, but try to portray it in a way in which the audience has to deal with it in a stark manner and not just in a, like, brutal tragedy, you know, manner, um, but just how it exists in real life and to acknowledge all sides of it and all facets, not just the, the dark parts of it. Um 
and and he's done that since the beginning of his career, including in his American movies where he uh, made Trojan horses out of cliched formats and snuck in extremely uh, revolutionary uh, films like Starship Troopers being basically one of the greatest movies on fascism, which is now even more potent in 2017 than it was in 2015 when we talked about it. Um, so yeah, he he's done that trick once again here, and he's done it effortlessly, I think. Um, I think the performance by Isabel Huppert uh, as Michelle is fantastic for obvious reasons, and um, ultimately I love the fact that I keep thinking about this movie. I You know, I can't stop trying to read into, not because I want to have different interpretations, but I, I want to just continue to get to know these characters. And, and the reason why this movie is a success is because Paul Verhoeven and the scriptwriter uh, David Burke, has given you everything you need to know about these characters. It's just up to you to piece it together in whichever way is uh, to your liking and, and, and can you can get out of it. So, um, yeah, ultimately, absolutely loved it. Um I will reinforce the notion that I will always like uh, movies that center on taboo relationships, uh, you know, whether it be this or whether it be, I don't know, like Leon the Professional, you know, movies where... And I was, I was going to say Nymphomaniac. Nymphomaniac, for sure. Uh, it doesn't always have to be explicitly sexual, yeah. but it has to be something in which the audience is, as an American audience, has to buy into something that we, as a collective society, don't always um, acknowledge its existence, even though it absolutely does uh, so uh yeah i give it a four and a half out of five and i am just so ecstatic that paul verhoeven i like i just i'm so glad that people are talking about him again because uh he hasn't made a movie in a decade and i think it's so easy to that's what happens when you don't make a movie in a decade that's true and but i just i think it's so easy to forget just how potent he is uh as a storyteller and it's in full force here so yep yeah, and um, another thing we already mentioned, Isabel Huppert uh, winning the Golden Globe, but uh, this film won for Best Foreign Film at yeah. the Golden Globes, and we got to see Paul Verhoeven giving a actually wonderful speech uh, at the ceremony uh, a little over a week ago. So, yeah, that is uh, definitely something that uh, was, was, I'm sure, for you, Nick, and for a lot of people, uh, welcomed. And uh, it was nice just to see him uh, give a... Uh, seemingly earnest speech uh, at, a, at an award ceremony, which is usually just filled with the usual shit. So. And can I just say something about Paul Verhoeven? Yeah. You know, I think it's funny that you say seemingly earnest because I agree with as far as like a lot of those speeches are bullshit. But I think that's Paul Verhoeven's uh, love it or hate it uh, factor that he is completely earnest when he makes showgirls. He is making, you know, that movie, and he is not letting the audience, you know, uh, lash onto a safety net of acknowledging that this is not, this is parody, or this, you know, like, these are the movies he wants to make, uncompromised, and he doesn't care about whether it plays the same exact way in his mind uh, to the audience that he provides it to, and I, I think that's probably his most endearing quality for myself, and I think it definitely shows as a director i would 100 percent agree with that assessment yeah good stuff hey so 
any thoughts out there for uh, this film, L, or any other Paul Verhoeven films, really? I know Nick would love to hear your thoughts. Oh, yeah. We would, too, here, uh, as you can always find us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Toussaint, are you going to call this movie Ghost of Michelle? Don't do that. We got to see the trailer again in the theater uh, for Ghost in the Shell. Boy, that's going to be an interesting film. Why does the Major look like the fucking Michelin Man? Why did you have to shout? We, we all, <laughs> we're all listening here. I'm sorry. It's okay. He wanted Brian to hear. <laughs> Brian will be happy we did this episode. I know. He was he, clamoring he, for it. And he, he has seen Al. So. Yeah, and he saw it way before me, that son of a bitch. Because mm-hmm. Arizona... <laughs> Because apparently, because I was going to say, apparently Arizona has better movie theaters than Illinois. Yeah, well, you know, trade off, it's Arizona. Brian, I'm sorry I released the fact that you were once in Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll see uh, about what Brian or anyone's feelings are if they do end up sending them on to us so we can talk about them on a future episode. Speaking of future episodes, though, next week... We're hitting the century mark. Oh, Oh my God. We're so... Oh, episode 100. We no matter what happens, no matter how many people listen to the podcast, we can always say after next week's episode that we did 100 episodes of our little podcast. And as long as we do 101, we can then just say over 100 and not specify (laughs) how many many we reached. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, it had been suggested quite a long time ago. Yeah, by uh, Caroline Decker. Yeah, one of our uh, longtime listeners and contributors to the show uh, that we do an episode on uh, a film that had been brought up many, many, many times on... I, I don't. I want to say probably the last like twenty five to thirty episodes we have it as much. Yeah, I was gonna say if you're a new listener, hello, uh, <laughs> hello, hi. Uh, but it it's certainly nice might you. not have the same effect. But, but this has been a long time coming. Yeah, on uh, a lot of episodes, probably in our first fifty to sixty ish, we had many mentions of how uh, Toussaint seemingly was always watching slash talking about. The Arnold Schwarzenegger film Predator. Yeah, and it became a running joke. Yeah, over so Predator and talks like Scooby Doo over and over and over again. Wow. Wow. So uh, it was suggested by Caroline Decker. Uh, I think like about a year ago, almost yeah, now at this time. point, wow. that we do Predator for our hundredth episode, and we're here almost at our hundredth episode, and we are going to do it. She recently Predator. asked me the other day if we were going to. So, yep, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that will be uh, a interesting choice for our hundredth episode. I've never seen it. Quite fitting, I think. Have you and seen it? Alex? I have not. All right. So what? Shut, shut up. No. Are never. You yeah. fucking nope. kidding me? <laughs> no. Nope. Never. No. For me. Never. Never again. What? You can't. You cannot yeah. ever say that to anybody ever again. You haven't seen Predator. No, we have not. We made a joke about this yes. for the duration of the yes. entire podcast. Yeah, I've never seen it. 
You've been hiding this from me. No, we have no. Oh we, my no, god, I mean, we, we, we both said it. Yeah, I was gonna say that's why we made fun of you when we were asking you questions. We're like, we've never seen this, and then we went into that whole bit about like, so Predator talks like Scooby Doo because we were just taking the, I, your weird stories. As which verbatim. also is why we had no idea about anything about it because we both never seen it. I was gonna say I'm like more unprepared to go <laughs> to see Predator than I am for a movie yeah! I've not actually. Tucson is like getting. Yeah, here. we're gonna watch uh, Predator for yeah. the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think I'm gonna watch it the day before. Now, <laughs> Fuck you! Me. Don't do this to me. Don't take this from me. Again, never again can you ever say anything about anyone not watching a film as you had not heard of Christmas Vacation. Yeah, yeah I'd never heard of Christmas Vacation, which again no. is silly. Yeah, uh, so no, it's not Predator. At no. least I saw Total Recall. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we are going to talk about Predator on episode 100. Yeah. We're all looking forward to it, especially Don't Tucson. make us cancel this, Tucson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tucson is like having a moment. It's it's so funny because it was Rocky Four where he was like laying on the ground. Uh, Why was I laying on the ground? Well, it was the robot, the robot. scene. Yeah, that was the most. But, yeah. Okay, that's fine. And then <laughs> uh, also you had very animated body motions <laughs> randomly. Uh, during First Girl I Loved, we yeah. were doing mm. that a little over a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. It's Pants Horizon. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I forgot to say one of my favorite things about L. Okay. It's like a little detail. So, if listener, if you're still listening, here's a little bonus episode. I really liked the scene in which after her rape, like the opening... <laughs> Just hold on. At the opening, uh, you know, attack and whatnot, um, they cut to her in the bathtub. Uh, the visual of her, like, wafting, because it's a bubble bath, the, the red bubbles yeah. almost into oblivion is, like, the symbolic <laughs> crux of this entire movie. Because not only does she not take the normal or at least what we would think somebody would do route as far as like, yes, you need to wash it off. But most, we always cut to a shower, like something that's clinical or whatever. But once again, her relationship with intimacy is weirdly twisted up in things that we don't normally uh, mesh up, like taking a bath, which is a luxurious, you know, uh, foliating type thing. And to do that after such a thing as your effort to cleanse your, uh, bleeding vagina uh, is uh, is one of those little moments that I thought was a perfect little character trait and I, I really wanted to mention that I it, we I actually had, had mentioned uh, not that specific scene but right before that uh, when we see the the end of the rape take place and uh, the unknown rapist at the time for us the viewer stands up and uses his shirt and almost like wraps it a little bit and rubs the blood off of himself. That's just such an interesting and uh, interesting graphic and and shot is it's just so cold and sort of like the oh I'm finished now so I'm going to leave so yep. bye. Also, <laughs> I think it's pretty important to point out that the only person we see masturbating in this movie is her. I think it's a very uh, common thing in a sexual predator movie where we'll see like the guy you know, like behind a computer screen or something like that. Yeah, uh, but uh, no, we are treated to that. <laughs> anyway, well, anyways, that was our episode on L. Yeah, uh, you can find all of our episodes on FilmTankShow dot com. You can also find us on iTunes or Stitcher as well at Film Tank Show, and you can find us occasionally. 
very occasionally. Well, not often. <laughs> On Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, also at Film Tank Show. So, we'll see you next time when Film Tank turns 100. So, thank you to Nick Cheney, to Son Egan, and thank you to the listener for listening us to here on Film Tank. Catch you next time.